So I begin my message with a question for all of you. It's a simple question. I'm just going to ask, is there something in your life that you are seeking approval from others about? Is there something that you want others to, to affirm you in, to approve you in, to validate you? I just want you to pause and think about that because I think some of us may have some fears, some anxieties, maybe even some depression over these things in our lives that we want to find approval. So as you are thinking about that, I'm going to be a little bit vulnerable here, and I'll share with you an area in my life that, that I often seek approval is through my relationships with people. I grew up really shy. Uh, my mother thought I would never speak. I didn't talk probably supposedly until I was about three or four, so that they thought I had a learning disability. And throughout my life, I have this, this uh, fear and anxiety when I meet people, and it's taken a lot of years to develop skills and confidence to be able to, to uh, just be able to relate to people. And it's kind of an amazing story because I stand before you and I'm talking to people in a, in a preaching position and, and that's definitely the work of God. But you know, one of the areas that, that we have in relationships uh, is dating, right? We, I think a lot of us have dated or tried to date, date and it's a time when, when you can get pretty anxious about seeking approval. I mean, dating is all about finding someone to approve you. And, you know, the fear of rejection is always lurking when you're dating. Now, I know I had a friend who said, you know, wouldn't it be wonderful if we knew what we knew today and we can go back in time and, and begin dating again? And I said, you're crazy because I don't want to go through that kind of drama. So even if you have the skills to do what you do now and know what you know, uh, dating has its own drama, and I haven't taken care of all that. I don't need that anymore. I have a picture here. Uh, this week, in the coming week, Terry and I will be celebrating our 25th wedding anniversary. So, so it, was, it was 26 years ago where this picture was taken. And uh, this is, I'm, you know, the, in poker, right, Texas Hold'em, it's all in. This is the moment when I decided to ask Terry to marry me. Now, at that moment, you know, when you make that proposal, a guy puts himself out there on a limb, right? I mean, a woman could actually say no, and then that would be the most horrible rejection that a guy could ever have. But here, thankfully, Terry uh, said yes, and the rest is history. But, you know, as soon as we are born into this world, we are examined, graded, judged even, for various criteria and qualities. As soon as you are born, even as a baby, you're measured as to how cute you are, how big you are on percentile charts, how well you feed, and especially how well you sleep. So begins a lifetime of being validated and seeking the approval of others, whether knowingly or not. And sometimes this can be good and necessary, but often this can be pa painful. And at this time, I want to encourage you that God does not look at you like other people do. He proves you no matter who you are, what you've done, and what you have not done. Remember, he knew you even before you were formed in your mother's womb. 
and he loves you unconditionally. Unconditional means no prerequisites. No prerequisites required. Jeremiah 31, verse 3 says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And everlasting means forever and eternally. The Bible has many stories of so-called unlovable people. They're there for a reason. And we're actually going to look at one of those kind of people this morning from Luke 19. And it's a man named Zacchaeus. And if you have your Bibles, I want you to pull out and you can follow along with me. Or you can follow along on the screen. Luke 19, verse 1 through 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man, too, is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. And that's the word of the Lord. So apparently from this passage, we get the idea that Zacchaeus was not approved by many people in his community. I don't know if that's obvious to you, but I'm going to help you to see why he wasn't approved. And the first thing we see here, that occupationally, he's a chief tax collector. Now from the surface, if you didn't know anything about historical background, you would think a tax collector is a position of, of power, of influence, uh, a great, of great appointment. I mean, today, you know, don't you get a letter twice a year from the county tax collector, and he's asking for your contribution to, to the government? And don't we cheerfully do that? <laughs> don't we see that the tax collector is our friend? Uh, probably not. Maybe things haven't changed over thousands of years. Maybe the tax collector today is just like the tax collector back then. Not really approved by a lot of people. And Zacchaeus is not just any tax collector. He's the chief tax collector. That means he was really good at what he was doing. And, you know, today, a lot of us are um, seeking approval for the kind of work that we do. You know, a lot of us come from a culture that, you know, a friend of mine blogs and she wrote that a lot of us have a, come from a culture where we, we choose, or actually we're told to choose, what's called the golden professions. Doctor, lawyer, engineer, CPAs. We're told that those are the four that we're supposed to, to choose. And if I look around the room, a lot of us have chosen those professions. All right? One friend told me, and this was about 30 years ago, when he announced to his parents that he was not going to be a doctor, lawyer, engineer, he said, I'm going into business. I'm going to be a business major. And his mother, totally shocked, who doesn't swear usually, said, you know that business is a BS major? I said, can't you be a doctor, 
at least a lawyer, maybe even just an engineer. And this is 30 years ago that my friend chose to go into business and go against the grain from our culture that chooses to not choose one of the four golden professions. One of the things that, that I realized, you know, through time, things don't really change. That was maybe 30 years ago. For, uh, I've had the blessing and, and uh, fortunate ability to meet some of our young, young college students, especially from Cal Berkeley. And I just received in an email um, a prayer request from a, a guy that I, I got to meet. And I admire him, and I'm inspired by him, and, and, and also proud of him to be able to confess for prayer that, that uh, he is going through you know, a tough time, that upon graduation, some of his dreams have ended because of experience at a difficult university that he didn't make the grades so that he could go into medical school. And so he felt ashamed about this, that he still remembers the day that when he was denied going into, the, into a major that would lead him to, me, to medicine because he didn't have the prerequisite GPA. And he was crying on campus. But now he, he's feeling that he can try to to rectify that, right, go back and try to raise his GPA. But, you know, these are real-life stories about people struggling about the occupation that they're, they're seeking approval from. So are you looking for approval through a job, through a career right now, and you're not happy? Well, I want to tell you that God loves you, and he approves of you in spite of that. Now, Zacchaeus, again, professionally, occupationally, was a chief tax collector. The next thing we learn in verse 2, that he is economically wealthy. Again, on the surface, you would think, wow, that's pretty good. You think that being wealthy is something to be admired, something to, to be aspired to, right? But you have to realize in biblical times, more so than today, in biblical times, being wealthy was very rare. You were either wealthy or you're very poor. There's no in-between. This middle class thing is a modern concept. You're either very wealthy or you're poor. And actually most people are poor because wealthy people don't get wealthy by themselves. They got wealthy because they took advantage of the poor people, of other people who became poor. That's the way of life. And apparently Zacchaeus is wealthy because he took advantage of other people, his own people, by cheating them, become wealthy. So he was not approved by the community because he was wealthy. He was actually despised, hated. And today, actually, we can see that there's this 99% who are hating on the 1% now, right? So things sometimes don't really change through history. So are you looking for approval about how much money you make? Are you upset that your peers are making more than you are now? If that's something you're going through, I have to say something to you, that God loves you and he approves of you, whether you make money or you don't make money. In verse 3, the next thing we find about Zacchaeus, that Zacchaeus is physically short. Now, this is a problem for Zacchaeus because he can't see over the crowd. 
So actually, his shortness is having a disadvantage here. And actually, you can see some of the, the feelings of the crowd, because the crowd could have actually noticed that he was short and actually parted ways to allow him to see Jesus. But part of their disapproval of Zacchaeus, they are actually ostracizing him here. They are closing ranks, so Zacchaeus cannot see Jesus. Physical attributes, unfortunately, is viewed by the world in certain ways. Have you ever walked into these major retail shops? I made this observation one, uh, one day while walking at one of these top uh, uh, retail stores in downtown San Francisco. Do you know on the first floor how much retail space they put for cosmetics? Huh? And I wondered about that. You know, as a, as a business person myself, I, it, to, to give that kind of retail space means it must draw in a lot of money. You don't do that for shelf space. So a lot of people are spending a lot of money on cosmetics. Plastic surgery is rising because not only women are, are going for plastic surgery, men are now. But you know, one thing you can't change, at least I haven't figured that one out yet, although I think some people have attempted, you can't really change your height. You can change the face, you can change your muscles, uh, body structure, but you can't really change height. Uh, although I think there, there are some radical surgeries that are being done now to do that. But here, Zacchaeus is being viewed as someone who is short. And he has, obviously, some disadvantage. Well, are you seeking approval by the way you look? Well, I have a word for you, that God loves you, and he approves of you, no matter how you look. In verse 4, we learn about Zacchaeus, that he is socially... Um, shameful in behavior. Zacchaeus, because nobody's going to let him see Jesus, they don't part the ways for him, he has to go climb a tree. And, and, you know, in that day, it's not easy to climb a tree if you're a man. It's something children do, but for a man to do that, it's actually very embarrassing and shameful. The reason is you know, because they're wearing long robes, and so if, if you're going to climb a tree, you're going to have to pull up the robes, and you're going to you know, look like a, a kid climbing up a tree, and that's not something that, that grown men do. But Zacchaeus was desperate enough to want to see Jesus that he does this shameful and embarrassing uh, act in front of his peers and his community. So do you, my question to us is, do you... Avoid people who behave embarrassingly in public? Do you kind of just, you know, shun them in your social circles because they lack the cool factor? Do you uh, avoid them because you're fearful that they're going to do something that's embarrassing in front of your friends? Or maybe you're one of those persons who is shunned by others. Maybe you're one of those who is awkwardly social, forever trying to get approval from others to include in their circles. Well, I have a word for you, that God loves you, 
and he approves of you whether you are cool or not cool. And finally, in, in verse 7, we learn something else about Zacchaeus. That the community considers him spiritually a sinner. It says there in verse 7 that the crowd was muttering that Zacchaeus is a sinner and that Jesus would have the audacity to go spend time with a sinner. And, the, you know, if you look at it from the, from the surface, the people maybe justifiably can consider Zacchaeus a sinner. It's because he, in getting his wealth, as I said, cheated them because the, the Roman government needed local people to help them collect funds to do their empire building. So they would choose the Jewish, Jewish men to take money from the Jewish people as the tax collections. And the tax collectors are paid by whatever they can skim off the top from what they collected from the people. So if you were obviously a greedy tax collector, you would just inflate the taxes and whatever excess you, you get to keep in your pocket. And so obviously um, Zacchaeus was pretty good at it and he was pretty wealthy from it, so he took advantage of a lot of people. But you know, there's a saying, the pot calling the kettle black. You know, it means that you're accusing somebody of something that you're also guilty of. When the crowd, Zacchaeus' uh, community is saying, this is a sinner, why do, you, why do you hang out with them? But they're not actually looking at themselves and realizing that they are just as sinful as Zacchaeus is. Because we have a God who is holy, and anything that falls short of holiness and that's caused by sin, you're a sinner. But you know, a lot of us walk around with this attitude, unfortunately, that we think we're not as bad as the next guy. When we walk, we say, wow, he or she did something really sinful, really bad, and we think out of pride that we're better than them. But unfortunately, in the eyes of God, we're all bad. But, you know, the word I have for us all is that God loves you and he approves of you even though you fall short, even though you have warts, sores, brokenness. He approves of you and he loves you. And we see it here that Jesus demonstrates to Zacchaeus how he affirms him. And he does this in very practical ways. And when, when we look at these, I want us to also take into uh, mind that these are things that we could do for other people too. Because Jesus affirms Zacchaeus this way, we can also affirm people. And the first thing that, that Jesus does in a very simple you know, sentence few words he says to, to Zacchaeus he says to him Zacchaeus come down immediately I must stay at your house and in that simple phrase he affirmed him in three ways first thing he called him by his name called him by his given name Zacchaeus and that's so important you know for us as a lesson that we learn other people's names Pastors have to do it uh, routinely and as a discipline. 
but I think any of you have gone into, into situations where if you can remember somebody's name, it means so much to them. I know with little kids, I remember going to classrooms with my own kids, and if you can remember your, your kids' friends' names, they love it. It's, you can get an instant bonding when you can remember little kids' names. But that here, Jesus does that. Out of the crowd, and God knows everything, and Jesus knows everything. He knew Zacchaeus' name, and he specifically used it there. The worst thing homeless people say, to, say that they hate is not that you, you don't give them money. Or you, they, what they hate is that you walk by them and not even see them. That's probably the worst thing you can do is not even to, to acknowledge them. The opposite of love is not hate. It's apathy. That means not to care. <coughs> to care is to know somebody's name. The next thing that, that Jesus says that, that, that affirms and approves Zacchaeus, he tells them, come down immediately. And what this represents is that Jesus is giving priority of time and space. He's telling Zacchaeus, come down. I will spend time with you. Come down immediately here. So he's giving him space. So this is the most important thing I think we can give to other people, is to give them our time and space. That we will, uh, you know, look at our schedules make time for people to meet them face-to-face. And I think that there's no substitute for meeting someone face-to-face. Have coffee with them, have dinner with them, whatever. I mean, email, texting, and all that other stuff. I don't think it substitutes physical presence and face-to-face conversation. And that's what Jesus does for Zacchaeus now. He treats him like a boss. He treats him like a VIP. And then finally, he, he, he tells them, I just, I, I must stay at your home today. And in Middle Eastern culture, this is the most intimate thing that one could do, is to go to someone's house and stay with them. That's probably actually still true today. To have somebody come and stay at your house is one of the most intimate things you can share with someone else. And in many ways, that is a sign of approval that you are welcome into my household. And Jesus doesn't stop there. As, as to this response to, to, to Zacchaeus at the tree, it says there in the scripture that, that um, when Jesus asks Zacchaeus, or actually tells Zacchaeus, I must stay at your home, the scripture tells us that Zacchaeus says he's going to do this gladly. And that word gladly is the same word that is associated to, with the feeling of joy when you receive salvation. When you are saved, you receive it gladly. It, it has that same kind of emotion. So here, essentially, Zacchaeus realizes he has received salvation from Jesus. And in turn, he responds by this generous act that he will give away half his wealth. And he will also go above what is called for in, in, in uh, making amends with those he's cheated. He gets four times the amount 
Scripture says it's not necessary to do that. But he does it extravagantly to demonstrate he has repented and been transformed. And because of that act, Jesus says, one more approval. And this is probably the biggest approval that Zacchaeus needed to hear. Jesus calls him a son of Abraham. And this is significant because Zacchaeus is Jewish. And he has been shunned and ostracized, rejected by his own people. And so he's a loner. And then Jesus restores him by saying, you are a son of Abraham, the chosen people. And so Zacchaeus is affirmed here. He feels, you know, the the joy of being recognized for who he is. He receives his true identity. But what's also important that Jesus says salvation has come to this house. And it's not by, by birthright. It's not by heritage. Not because he is a chosen person or, or a Jew. Not because he's a son of Abraham. But he has received salvation through having a connection with Jesus. It's because he responds to Jesus acting um, with approval towards him by demonstrating that he's changed his life and he is now physically following Jesus. He has demonstrated that transformation. Jesus says salvation has come, not because of your birthright as a son of Abraham, which you are, but because through a connection with me, with a relationship with Jesus. Jesus says in verse 10, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. So Zacchaeus has salvation not because of birthright or lack of one, but through connection with Jesus. And what's important here to realize that when Jesus affirms Zacchaeus, we think he's the bad guy. Like the whole crowd is going, you're the sinner. But I think the story is telling us Zacchaeus is actually the right guy. He's the hero. He's the guy that, that God is looking for. If we're going to be anybody, it's not to be like the people in the crowd. We're supposed to be like Zacchaeus. And Jesus affirms that by saying, salvation has come to you. And, man, and that Jesus has come not for those who are um, not sick. He comes for those who are lost. And this was insulting to the Jewish people because a lot of them think that the chosen people cannot ever be lost. But Jesus is saying, Zacchaeus, a man who has been shunned, is actually the right kind of person. So do you think you're receiving approval from others is important? You know, do you think that it's important to do so? There are some good reasons and necessary that we need to get approval, right? Some basic things is you got to be credentialed, you got to be licensed. That's a certain amount of approval, and we appreciate those kind of things. And there are things that, you know, 
we, we give affirmation and approval for things that we do, and these are positive reinforcements of things. So approval, gaining approval is just part of life. So I want you to think about it. Is it important in your life? And how important is it? I have a video clip I want us to, to look at, and it demonstrates a story of, of a man who, who has all his life been rejected by everybody. Even when he was born, his parents rejected him. And he's been called trash. And so he lives life as a gangster. He goes through life purposely, uh, with no purpose and aimlessly. And he comes to a point where he discovers he has a young daughter who needs his bone marrow because she's dying of leukemia. And on his birthday, his little daughter gives him the approval and affirmation that he has never received from anybody else. It's from a Korean drama, so it's going to be <laughs> subtitled. see this, this little, little girl, this daughter, is giving her long-lost father affirmation and approval that he has been seeking all his life for. And it's an affirmation and approval for bringing her into the world. So are you seeking approval from others? And I'm sure many of us are. It's just part of life. And I can't say to you that you're going to get it. I can't guarantee that. It's not like magic. But I know that God approves of you 
And that is what I am assured of, because you are chosen to be his children. And many of us run around in a world lost, just like that man. And we need to hear those words that you are affirmed and approved for who you are. John 1, verse 12 to 13 says, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. God chose you. He knew you before you were in your mother's womb, and he calls you his beloved. Many of us are seeking approval for something in our lives, approval for our jobs and professions, approval for our economic status, approval for how we look physically, approval for our social status, and even approval for our spirituality. And I'm not naive to tell you to stop looking for approval. It may not be possible, because the only thing I know is that God accepts you and he approves of you. And, and this morning, I want us to go through a little exercise as a response to what you heard this morning. I want you to just reflect in on your own lives. Is there something that you're seeking approval for? Something that comes to mind, whatever it may be, whether it's in your work life, your school life, your family life. Whatever it may be, is there something in your life that you're seeking approval from, about, and for whom? If you do, something comes up, there's these little index cards, I think, that you have in your programs. I want you to jot those, those things, that one thing or several things down on that card. And I want you to have the opportunity to give that to God. To just release it for God to take care of. You know, God is honored when we physically respond to his word. And so that's an opportunity this morning that in front of me, there's a box here. And it's voluntary, but if you'd like to bring it to the altar, you can drop those concerns about something you're wanting approval of into that box. And then, don't have to put your name on it, you can be anonymous, but you just Place it in the box, and that's one way that you will trust that God will help you in that area. And when you do come up, we'll also then give you a blessing, kind of a, a stamp of God's approval. You know, we, you know, one of my favorite foods is prime rib, you know, ribeye, roast, and we grade our meat. There's USDA select. There's USDA choice, but the top quality is USDA prime. And we stamp those meats to certify that. Well, today, you get to come up here, and God will stamp you as being prime, too. He loves you, and he approves of you. And when you're here, if you like to spend time with, with, with God, there's these pillows here. You can kneel and, and just pray to him. If you want to receive prayer ministry, we'll have prayer people sitting in the front pews so you can pray, have prayer about something that you may want to, to um, deal with as, a, as part of what you're struggling with, with something that you're finding in approval. So that's, that's welcome. You're welcome to, to engage in that. 
to prepare this time, uh, I'm going to read a poem that is written by one of our leaders. As a matter of fact, it's Ernie Chan that, that helps kind of summarize what we're talking about this morning. I'm going to read it and use it as part of your reflection as you prepare to respond to God's word. There are many voices that influence us, that define us, that haunt us, that drive us, and that interfere with who God has called us to be and how we see others. Jesus came for the CEO, the SOB, and HIV, the PhD and the no degree, the highest ERA and the lowest GPA. Jesus came for the beauty and the ugly, the smart, the stupid, the tall, the short, the fat, the skinny, the winner, the loser, the failure, the runner-up, and last place. Jesus came for East Palo Alto and Richmond, and wherever you might live, the person on Wall Street and the person on the street, the biggest bank account and the negative bank account, the hired and the fired, the BMW and the Yugo. Jesus came for the empty nester and the no nester, the one who has sinned and the one who has no sin, or thinks so, the biggest, the brightest, and the best, the last, the lost, and the least. Jesus came for all of us, and he has called us to love one another likewise. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time where you shower upon us your presence and your love. We thank you, Lord, that we have been created fearfully and wonderfully. But sometimes we forget that, Lord, because the world doesn't tell us that. The world tells us other things about what kind of job we have, what kind of wealth we have, how we look or don't look, how we behave or don't behave, and especially if we're not holy enough. Lord, I ask that you bring your healing through your spirit, through the people here, and that you would make it known in their hearts that they are approved by you no matter what, unconditionally and everlasting. So I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So you may come when you are ready.